I don't know if there's a word to if there's an adjective to describe how much ejaculate. <laughs>
BAFTA winners, and we got Carl uh, Hamilton, uh, Carl Queensborough, the star of Hamilton on the West End, to be one of our leads, um, and that was that's really great, and that's being distributed on Gen Z media, and uh, we're going great guns with that. We have some grants in the pipeline for another couple of seasons there. And I've also recently done a podcast in Syria in Arabic. I don't speak Arabic, but I, I managed the the back end of things mm. for farmers who've been displaced by the war in Syria and the conflict. It was to, to put uh, agricultural experts in Turkey, expat Syrians now living in Turkey, um, back in touch with Syrian farmers on the ground to try and help them with agricultural information and support um, networks mm. to help them farm in uh, in various different conditions. Like I, I, in terms of podcasting, I suppose I naively or ignorantly is probably the better word, always associate podcasting with exactly the genres that I'm interested in listening to podcasts of, right? So it's yeah. it's always like, you know, politics or some sort of like rock stars biography or uh, maybe a true crime thing. and And don't forget that there's this whole other universe of like current affairs shows and sort of content that you're talking about um it's quite sort of eye-opening isn't it, it, it but yeah. what's, what's the reaction been from the uh from the syria one? Oh, it's great we had um uh we did an on the ground survey uh um after the launch and we we um surveyed nearly a thousand people who listen to the podcast um uh, everybody's got a mobile phone uh, they listen on the mobile phone uh, it was it was really really it was really good um but yeah you're i mean the, the the podcasting world is uh is this gigantic ocean of every kind of conceivable content mm. and you do tend to kind of get stuck in a groove i uh a couple of years ago i wrote um with my research partner lance dan of the university of brighton the first big proper scholarly book on podcasting as a new genre of thing right. pod called podcasting the audio media revolution and you know we sit back at it now and we look at the we look at it now and we thought we we could never we could never write a book in 2021 that was simply called podcasting that is almost yeah. as absurd as writing a book called film yeah. uh, because it things have just exploded so massively and it's such uh it's such a big thing now it's it's i suppose it's um a testament to that that your your role now like your title even incorporates podcasting into it because from my mind and i'm not an academic but i would have thought that within these sometimes arguably slower moving world of academia is that fair like that, that maybe yep. somebody who is teaching a prospectus of media i would assume that they would be purely teaching like you know tv and radio yeah, and stuff. yeah, like, yeah. you wouldn't necessarily think podcasting would go straight in there so that's cool i think that yeah no it, I, and i'm really happy I, I i am the first professor of podcasting in the uk so that is Sweet. is something and we are um but I, I think I think usually what happens kind of pick up your your point about kind of where academia positions itself in relationship to industry. I think in academia, we're usually conceptually and theoretically ahead of industry, but practically quite behind. So, um, you know, we're we can kind of think ahead of the game and see things unfolding that haven't yet materialized. But in terms of teaching how to make stuff and how to get stuff out there and how to kind of develop relationships with audiences and listeners. I think industry is certainly um, well ahead of what we're able to do in university settings on that front. Sure. Sure. Um, 
I I thought you'd make an interesting guest uh, to discuss media with me um, because not only, I, I think I mentioned this uh, in the intro, but not only are you a professor within the field academically, but you're also an international. So um, your perspective of the state of British media will be like a, a win-win, a, you know, double, double win in that respect, <laughs> right? So um, let's, let's start from the top. I'll, I'll give you my kind of take on sure. where media appears to be from my position as a, as a consumer. Um, it, it feels to me like we have this sort of tabloid frenzy uh, culture in the UK where uh, perhaps dissimilarly to other countries, I don't necessarily think think it's entirely true of the united states but i think of you know places like france or italy or germany or whatever i don't think they respond to tabloid news in the way that we do in this country so in like on the morning news shows on the breakfast sofas they will go through all the newspapers and it will be like you know the sun's headline and the mirror's headline and these are to my mind kind of you know trashy comic book type publications um who who revel in showbiz gossip and exposés of tv presenters doing coke in the toilets and so on and it's fine right if there's a story about drug use and there's that kind of expose fine let's go and talk to the sun but when it's it's like politics or like discussing a labor policy or a lib dem policy about education i question the integrity of anyone who then says yeah we should go and talk to the the editor (laughs) of these like let's wheel in the beano next week let's talk to you know so, so we might as well, yeah. So, I, like, my take is that we take tabloids too seriously in this country, and that we we allow them to set the tone on the morning news shows, and then for the rest of the day's news, it's people like LBC, BBC, Channel Four News in the evening, uh, responding to whatever the tabloid frenzy was that morning. And I, it feels to me like a frustrating stumbling block like how are we ever going to improve the political discourse if we allow these sort of trash mags to set now am i way off base with that i I don't know that you're way off base i think um i don't think there's anything we could do about it um and i think that um it is just going to change of its own volition over time because my students 19 20 21 year olds Mm. they don't read newspapers and they're never going to read newspapers and uh i think that the 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 kind of the things that enter their minds the kind of politics the kind of ideas that enter their minds don't begin in newspapers and i i don't i don't know that um i don't know that there's a huge difference between the uk and america i think um america our media has historically been a bit more fragmented um and maybe a bit less docile at times right. but i think i think in general the the two are are quite similar uh, the, the british news media environment and the american news media environment often because the same players are playing in in both in both countries um i and one interesting thing to kind of think about when when we kind of talk about the relationship between British news media and American news media, the British media environment and the American media environment is because Britain is is a slightly smaller um, pond. Mm. It's often used as a Petri dish for techniques and strategies that then get rolled out in America. And the the kind of really clear 
clear, relatively recent example of this is the the way social media, particularly Facebook, was trialed in the UK around the EU referendum vote. And those same disinformation and targeting strategies were then almost taken um, uh, en masse mm. and applied in the US to get Trump elected, often by some of the same people with connections to Cambridge Analytica. I don't remember whether or not Cambridge Analytica was was uh, still around when uh, Trump's election was happening, but certainly the same the same people were were working on both. And I don't um, I, I don't see a huge amount of of difference. And in fact, I don't know much about. You mentioned France and Germany and Italy. I don't know much about their mm media scenes, but I know the same kinds of concentrations of power are happening, the same kinds of sort of media oligarchs and tech oligarchs are gaining influence through lobbying in Europe that we have here. And I think it, it all is it's all leading in the same direction. Yes, maybe France and Germany, maybe even uh, more so Scandinavian countries where regulation is much more robust and media ownership laws mm. are are much more stringent. Uh, maybe they are in a better position than we are. But I think it all kind of boils down to money and the prop and the propaganda that that money can generate. Not to kind of be too glib about it, but um, I think if you. Oh, sorry, I was just going to say, do you think, and let me just say, my faith in the British public has never been as low as it is right now. <laughs> so do you think, do you, do you think there's an argument to be had that maybe British people are just kind of a bit stupid? Like they're, like they're willing oh, to, okay. like... So you know what? Let me tell I'm going to be straight like, on. We love tablets like, because we love... One of, the, one of the things that really appealed to me mm. when I was in my 20s coming to England to study, meeting people, um, uh, and this would have been in the 90s. So, you know, it's it was the heyday yeah. of tabloid journalism yeah. uh, in uh, in Britain. I thought I thought you guys were all much cleverer than I was, and I I was I was in admiration at your knowledge uh, of of world events and 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 political theory yeah. in a way that I wasn't. Uh, and I, I I I so I think maybe the grass is 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 just always greener, and I think there is a tendency to be more critical of where you come from, and. And I don't think that's that's necessarily there's nothing necessarily anything wrong with that. But I think the problems that we have in both countries um, do have a similar root. And I think you know if if I were to name the root, I would name it Rupert Murdoch. Um, you know I think uh, he was here in Britain with more force and more vigor a bit earlier than he was in the U.S. But I think any rational analysis of the impact that Murdoch and News Corp and his newspapers have had on on people, uh, you know, they, they've made us dumber and angrier and more afraid. Mm. And I think you can measure that, and plenty of people have measured that. Um, that's his contribution to the world historical project, and and him and people like him are are pulling strings internationally not just in britain or america so i think i think there's i think there's more similarity than there is um uh huge difference it's he's an interesting character isn't he in the sense that he has had such a detrimental impact to american political discourse but also over here but yet he's from australia and i 
look, I'm not an Australian political or media graduate or, or whatever, but I don't get the sense that it is as bad in Australia. Yeah. Um, I have I have some colleagues in um, uh, in at universities in Australia, and they they loathe him really? uh, more than I do. Um, I think they're very happy that he's now. You know, he, Australia is, is an even smaller pond, and uh, and and he's always had a great ambition. So he's obviously more focused on Europe and America. But I think um, uh, I don't I don't really know. My my sense is that. The um, uh, the liberal government in Australia is is still incredibly indebted to um, the Murdochs and the Murdoch Empire, and I uh, um, and it, it's it's a very very clear and quite scary playbook that he has been sort of perfecting um, uh, around the world. I don't know. Have you ever read um, a a book by Noam Chomsky called Manufacturing Consent? No, I haven't. It's a it's a fantastic. It's a fantastic book. If you're if you're a news junkie, um, it was written in the mid or late '80s, looking at mostly the impact of uh, Reagan era deregulations on media ownership and things like the Fairness Doctrine, rolling back the Fairness Doctrine, and the effect that had on news culture and general public discourse. Right. And he's really, really smart and really, really clever. Um, he borrows that term, I think, from a guy named Walter Lippmann, who's an early 20th century American intellectual, manufacturing consent. And um, it's essentially a kind of a, a really detailed case study in late 20th century propaganda. Many of the same moves are with us today in a kind of hyper real sped up way on social media. Mm. Yeah, oh, I'll check it out. Sounds sounds interesting. It's the sort of thing that's probably crossed my path about two or three times, and people have told me to buy it and read it, and I've been like, yeah, yeah, okay. And then life kind of gets in the way, you know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's not. It's not. You know, it's not a kind of heavy uh, book of of theory or philosophy. It's it's a very very clear eyed critical analysis of of what happens when you deregulate the media industry yeah. and who suffers and who gains and deregulation almost always hurts most people most of the time yeah. and and helps protect um uh the interests of wealth and power the, the thing with um uh the the media's practices and and Madochian practices if you <clears throat> is everyone sort of focuses on the bias element of it they look at Murdoch's ownership and Murdoch's influence, um, specifically in the right wing of the political landscape. Um, I think for me, I, I like I am troubled by that. That most of his successful media outlets seem to lean quite heavily to the right, and they seem to adopt similar stances on things like denying climate change and and um, anti-immigrant rhetoric and that sort of stuff. But I'm also equally troubled by the actual day-to-day -day practices of just like trashy tabloid journalists so like um over here that sort of stuff was like we, we really shone a light on it in the leveson inquiry um and i think it was the first time that things were exposed in the cold light of day of just how callous these people because everyone has this this cliche this sort of idea in their head of what a tabloid hack would be like right he'd be walking around he'd be like a bit unshaven probably drinking on the job like big long rain mac yeah. kind of thing you know and he's a, a bit like you <laughs> right yeah, yeah. Uh, 
I mean, my dad was a journalist, so it's... Uh, okay. Uh, yeah, the apple hasn't fallen too far from the tree, clearly. Uh, but no, um, it, like everyone has this idea, but I, I don't think we really understood how bad it could be. And it was only when these stories of like hacking this poor dead girl's phone came out and these stories of um, like effectively blackmailing celebrities sort of saying like, look, we know you did X, Y, and Z. So you can either admit it and come on the record and then give the interview and, you know, we'll, we'll talk about how amazing and honest you're being, or we're going to run the story anyway, and then you'll be forced to deny it and blah, blah, blah. And, and so then these people would say, okay, fine, look, I'll, I'll go on the record. And then it would turn out that they didn't actually have anything. They just sort of, you know, tripped them or blackmailed them. In. Yeah. So there's a lot of sleazy behavior and, and conduct. Um, and it felt like with Leveson that that could be a real turning point. I remember seeing, you, you're familiar with Charlie Brooker? Must be. Yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, I remember him doing a, a sort of walk and talk segment on, on the show that he was doing uh, where he was marveling at the sort of the downfall of Rupert Murdoch uh, uh, as though it was the sort of end of a religion. And it felt like that at the time, like, oh, thank Christ, we might actually be rid of this prick and we can get back to some yeah, kind yeah. of like civil discourse. And, um, yeah. and and now it feels like, you know what, it's been a few years since that and they shut the news of the world and then they opened the sun on Sunday and absolutely nothing feels any different. If anything, it feels worse now. Yeah, I mean, I, I I think you're absolutely right. I think um, uh, you know the, the tabloids are worse, but I think for me, Levison is sort of fading in the rearview mirror. I, I think the world has the world has moved on, and the the problems that we were facing are totally new. Back when Levison happened, Levison happened, um, you know, you could at least notionally, um, you could notionally go after. Rupert Murdoch, Sky News, News of the World, The Sun. You could you could go after them if they defamed you, if they slandered you, if they uh, blackmailed you. you. There was at least the idea that you could take them to a British court and you could get something out of them. Um, uh, you know, very few people did. Some did. Some failed. A tiny handful succeeded. But now I think the the game, the rules of the game have so totally shifted that I think most people aren't even thinking about those kinds of issues anymore. I mean, right now, if, um, you know, somebody can slander you in a second on social media, it can go viral in a few minutes. Mm. It could devastate your life. It could end your career. And you have absolutely, there's no concept of a recourse for you, right? You, you, it, it's not a named corporation or a limited company that you can um, bring charges against. It's some anonymous guy in some village in Ukraine who you will never know, mm. who you will never find. If you did find her or him, they wouldn't have deep pockets. You, you couldn't get, get any compensation. Um, so I, I kind of think that the the issues that that Levinson, Levinson failed to address um, – are again they're i think we're outgrowing them i think they're just going to fade away or worse kind of be be eclipsed by bigger badder problems yeah i think speaking as somebody who works in tech in uh, in the in my real life um uh, i sort of feel like there's a there's an argument there to implement i don't, don't know if they could do it now with twitter if it's too big or there's just too much history to it or whatever but uh, it feels like with blockchain you, mm. What you could do is you could implement controls 
where let's say I put a tweet out that's something uh, ferociously awful about you. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. And then you say that's incorrect. Um, and here's here's the evidence to show that it's incorrect. And then Twitter, yeah, then step in and say, yeah, cool, okay, we're gonna like deactivate that, and then it j- disappears. Like you could remove it. There's the the, yeah. the technology is there and has been there probably for years now to be able to do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it becomes this sort of question of well, why why are things so slow and like like if you could if you've got the legal mechanism there within print media and you have the technology there within tech surely the two could meet in some fashion yeah i think um let me i i just want to kind of i want to ask you a question so about twitter so how did you feel when twitter um deleted donald trump's account um the gut reaction you don't have to kind of overthink it gut reaction it was good yeah yeah i kind of thought it was good too um to not have him around every hour spewing hate, spewing lies, spewing misinformation, dividing people, spewing racism, it felt good. But then when I kind of sat with it for a bit, I thought, you know what? It's actually not so good because I don't want Jack Dorsey, unaccountable oligarch, deciding who gets to use the public sphere. What I would much rather have is maximum transparency in the way somebody gets booted off of Twitter. I would much rather have open sourced algorithms so we can all, you and me and academics and reporters can look at how things are promoted and why, and we could systematically parse and deconstruct how these channels of propaganda flow through our world and we could shine a light on them i i don't know that um i think you're looking at twitter as uh in, in a a utopian scenario where it let's say publicly funded or funded yeah, yeah, yeah. by media outlets who who benefit hugely from twitter um, yeah. and then there would be no vested financial interest where they have to make a return yeah. but the, the but they do. they do, and yeah. that's the problem. But it, so here's the thing: I mean, I don't, I, I don't know the situation in the UK, but in the US, every every digital media outlet, everything online, every packet of online information, exists on a framework that was built with public money, with a giant Mount Everest of publicly funded research, and every channel is uh, has been licensed or in some way regulated by the people through the government. So one could notionally Mm. take some of that back. One could notionally set up an elected panel that gets to decide some of these things on behalf of real human beings and real citizens, rather than just trusting everything to um, to these unelected, unaccountable, billionaires I, I really don't like that situation yeah i i agree i i think actually if you look at the impact of companies like facebook and the last 10 years <clears throat> i think it's inarguably uh been hugely detrimental to to western liberal democracy uh, and i think you could make a very uh, intelligent convincing case there that you 
should be able to, or at least the US should be able to say, you know what, like these are American companies and they were built with American dollars. So yes, we would like to have some influence on how they're run uh, and and maybe just temper their frustration that they inflict on democracy going forward. But I think the problem there is that because because they've been allowed to run free for so long, uh, any attempt now to interfere in how they're run would be jumped on by this sort of this the, the tribal like binary like army of the other side. They would be like, "Why are you stepping in?" Like, no, it's supposed to be a free market. You know, a guy has an idea and takes his idea to market. He's a billionaire now. Just get out of his business. Is such a neoliberal myth, you know, the the free market. Yeah. There, there's no such thing as the free oh, market. Oh, I know that. The market, the market exists, <laughs> and and when the guy gets to the top, he rewrites the rules so that he stays at the top. It's it's you know the 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 invisible hand of the market always touches us up in the worst possible way. It's it is not something that is 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 working for the benefit of of anyone but a, a tiny tiny few and i think that we i think you know for you and me sitting here on a podcast i think you know if we can make a tiny tiny contribution at all might be to kind of just try to shift the way that conversation happens by by reframing it in different ways so yeah it, it's I, th I think we have to kind of outgrow like we're outgrowing an attachment to newspapers and tabloid news we have to outgrow some other ideas that were hugely popular in the late 70s and 80s and into the 90s that for which there's really no evidence that they benefit most people most of the time there's a lot of evidence that they hurt most people most of the time yeah i think it's just a nice story that they can pull out their pocket when they get asked to interfere with whatever they can just say no 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 it's like yeah. uh, it's uh, trickle down economics you know you you just hang hang in there <laughs> it's coming yeah, yeah. it's coming like niagara falls it's coming yeah, yeah. um <laughs> so i suppose if we if, if we broadly agree that uh that the uk media is in 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 a bit of a state and that the us is not uh, entirely different that there are that you do have this sort of Murdochian influence that it is um then amplified by social media's effects echo chambers um where where do you think this leads where do you think we're headed five or ten years man i don't know i think so like um can i be can i be professorial for 30 seconds you might have to give me a dictionary to Oh no no! So, in um in the uh, just before World War Two, um, uh, nineteen thirty five, um, uh, a guy named Walter Benjamin wrote a really really brilliant essay. He's he's sort of absorbed into what became the Frankfurt School. Um, his ideas were he ended up committing suicide. He was Jewish. The Nazis were um, coming across Europe. He um, committed suicide before. Um, uh, before he was taken, um, he wrote a brilliant essay called The Work of Art in the Age of Mechanical Reproduction. And uh, in that essay, he looks at media technology, the media technology of the early 20th century, specifically things like photography and film mm. and um, uh, mechanized automated production of newspapers. And he says, um, okay, this new media technology has the, the power to do two things. It has the power to totally rearrange property relations in the Western world and to give working people 
their fair share, what their due is, what they want, or it can be used to aestheticize violence and push us ever closer to fascism. And one of the things that he said that would sort of uh, push things in that in that sadder direction of aestheticization of violence and fascism yeah. was the ability to become an author, the ability to get your words published in pretty much any newspaper you wanted in an op-ed column, uh, and then later on, the ability to become a star, the promise of becoming a star through self-expression. Right. So he said, if we get too hooked up into opportunities that the media presents us for self-expression, we're going to go in the direction of Donald Trump and Nigel Farage, and things are going to be the shitty mess that we have right now. Um, uh, I think there's a, the, the opportunity to change that exists, but it exists on a much smaller scale level. So I think if we do want to change things, and I, I hate to say this, to you as a podcaster and to me as a professor of podcasting, I think like maybe the route to change is to listen to fewer podcasts and to be on social media less and to be much more selective and Catholic with a small C about our news consumption and choose a media diet that is complex and doesn't just reiterate what you already and I think if we start to think of things locally, if you read your village newsletter or your community newspaper more than you spend time on the BBC website, um, uh, and you develop real human relationships with the real human beings that are physically close to you in your tiny corner of the world, I think we might begin to change things from the ground up rather than from the top down. I think top down solutions probably aren't going to do anything because as we've talked about, the people at the top, um, uh, they have a vested interest in keeping things as they are. Why would they, why would they want to regulate things um, that, that push them out of power? I'm interested to, to understand why um, having the, the advent of print journalism or having the, the potential to print to, to have your words printed and communicated to hundreds thousands hundreds of thousands of people uh why that would uh allow us to slide further and further towards somebody like donald trump or brexit like what's the connection so, there benjamin benjamin was saying that um when you focus on um your self when you use the media to promote yourself, when you make it more narcissistic, that prevents you from using it or it gets in the way of you using it to see commonality between you and somebody else. It, it interferes and interrupts with human connection and empathy and a sense of a collective project. So it is a kind of privatization and individualization that leads to a celebration of the great strong man, a celebration of the genius, right? Yeah. A celebration of the guy who's better than us and who's going to save us all by keeping out the brown people, by building a wall, by any other number of nonsense, horrible, hateful 
policies and ideas. It's 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 easier and it's comforting. Um, and in and the kind of triggering moment is this kind of streamlining things into individual a focus or an obsession with individual expression rather than something common. But then I suppose that the the natural question at the end of that is if that's the solution if and we all know that we we feel better when we've been hanging out with actual friends physically rather than just you know sitting mm. on a WhatsApp chat group um <clears throat> it's it's in, in my mind it's similar to if you take an ecstasy pill uh and you like you will feel love you're gonna you're gonna <laughs> you'll feel great you'll have a great time and you could feel love and have great times without that pill but you just have to work harder on your relationships you just gotta you know spend more time with your friends get to know them a bit better and you can still feel but the pill is just easier so yeah, yeah, yeah. it's like that, I get that right it's it's you you pick up instagram you put up a funny picture or whatever and you wait for people to to give you the hearts on it and you get the dopamine rush and and so on yeah exactly but, and there are neurologists that work for these companies that are perfecting yeah. that that the kind of the speedy delivery of those nerve of those neurochemicals yeah yeah it, it's it is an addiction right but i don't know or rather the, the natural question i was going to sort of bookend that with was um you know how how do you persuade uh, a population of mostly stupid people i know that like I'm I'm saying that, Martin. I know you're not. You'll be okay. way more diplomatic than I am. Okay. Uh, especially somebody who's professionally charged with trying to educate people to making them. Oh shit! My <laughs> here I am calling everyone else stupid. I've just like ruined my own camera. Hold on a sec. Uh, <laughs> I thought you were being censored there. Yeah, that's what it our, is. Our corporate overlords were shutting you down. Bloody cancel culture. <laughs> Fake armor kicking me in the ass for calling everyone stupid. It did. It was perfectly timed. <laughs> yeah. Let me see if that reconnects. There we go. I'm back. Um, so, um, yeah, no, I was, I was going to say, uh, I realise that you will be more diplomatic, considering that your, you know, your role is to educate people to make them smarter. Um, but I'm, you know, I'm just a, a sort of comedian who works in tech in the day and who podcasts, so I don't have to be that diplomatic. I can say most people are fucking stupid, especially in this country. I wonder it like how would you how would you persuade what like half the country 30 40 million people that actually they need to put their phone down you know like I know you're sat in the waiting room in the, in the doctors and you're bored but just don't go on Instagram talk to the person that's next to you I I don't have an easy answer for you but I have a starting point or I have something not to do so mm. if you want to persuade somebody to do something and your opening salvo is you're an idiot <laughs> you're not going to convince them to do anything no. i think so perhaps perhaps we have to take a little bit of responsibility for for this you know, I, and it's so hard it's no i get it man it is so tempting to just to to um uh, to listen to A. Thompson and other disappointments, to listen to I, I love watching the Young Turks online. I love uh, the podcast Unfucking the Republic, which is great. Um, you know, all of these things, um, uh, they kind of reaffirm uh, my superiority 
often by calling other people stupid, right? Yeah, yeah. And that makes me feel good, but that is that's a recipe for keeping us divided. And I think we really, really have to check that impulse. But if it, and we really have to reach out makes... and try try and find common ground. Like so like you you and your Brexit voting neighbor, I don't know where you live, right? Like you may disagree on everything on the surface, but you should try to find some common ground if you want to kind of change the world, right? You, you do have things in common, right? Yeah. He loves his kids, you love your kids, right? You want to leave them a, a relatively healthy planet when you shuffle off this mortal coil, right? You, you have parents that are elderly relatives that you love, he has elderly relatives that he loves, we could find some common ground uh, where yeah. we can think about ways of, of of allowing them to live old age in old age and a bit of dignity and to make sure they have relatively decent health care. We can find common ground. Yeah, I I get that, and and to a large extent, I've I've adopted that mentality until reasonably recently, where I thought to myself, like I even did a TikTok. About sort of three or four months ago, where I was saying, you know what, I'm done. I'm done debating Brexit. I'm done like arguing the case for Remain or re rejoining and so on. Like it's obviously happened. And you know, this this person over here, they weren't stupid for voting to leave the EU. They were sold a load of lies. Um, but it's you know, let's just move on. People had all all sorts of reasons that they might have voted for it, and they might regret them, and they might not. But anyway, now let's all get together and try and bring Britain forward in the 21st century, like invest in tech and 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 a lot, a lot of it i still agree with but it's oh it's so fucking hard martin like sometimes when you, is, you no, see it's like it's... you see like tweets from people who have intelligent jobs right like, like hard jobs and here they are on twitter telling you that i don't know they're not going to wear a mask or that um that actually everyone else is wrong about the shop shelves being emptier and emptier and everyone else is wrong about the petrol shortage because they in their local shop don't see like and you just you read these yeah. tweets and you just go oh my yeah. fucking god and these like uh, yeah, this, yeah, this yeah. is a one person it's like millions of people like that who adopt yeah, yeah, yeah. the same mentality and you're just like oh we're so we're so doomed so like can i can i just like so i w i was where you were a few years ago and i have just i have surrendered in the battle of facts. Yeah. I have raised the white flag and I've said, I, I can't, this is not a battle I'm gonna win. No. Um, when you have people like Trump advisor Kelly Conway getting on, on the news and saying, I have alternative facts. And like my alternative facts say, global warming isn't really a thing. Mm. And like, I, I, I really don't think because they're better funded than we are, you know, you in your cave, me in my office, mm. um, you know, they have vast sums of money behind them. They have vast apparatuses of think tanks and media outfits um, who exist to propel those messages into the world to misinform and to um, uh, create discord and create confusion. I think the only way we're we're going to go forward is by trying to find common ground on values. I think this kind of the the postmodern genie is out of the bottle. We use postmodernism very very well in the 80s and the 90s to unpick uh, a lot of uh, oppressive institutions and to show that their claims to truth um, were suspect and ideologically driven. Mm. And then 
you know, 10 or 15 years ago, those strategies, which were strategies mostly of the left, were adopted by the right to undermine all of the institutions around the world and to and to kind of make people lose faith in all of those institutions, in all of our institutions. And I think um, we're never going to get that genie back in the bottle. And I think the only way, you know, there, um, the only way we're going to go forward is by trying to find some... Mm some common ground we don't we don't believe in anything anymore and and because uh it was i think it was chester chesterton in the early early 20th century the, the british poet and essayist had this great line which was something like um uh when people don't believe in god the problem is that they don't they're not going to believe in nothing the problem is they're going to believe in everything mm. and and it, it's just created this kind of immense confusion that I don't think we're ever going to fix. And I think the only way to fix it is to take a sort of new humanist approach to try and find points of connection, to try and find um, uh, common ground where we can, because I think common ground does exist. I think there's a correlation there just to sort of tap into, I, I've not heard that quote before, but um, to tap into that a little bit. Do you think there's a correlation uh, that in the sunsetting of Christianity, certainly in the Western world, like as, as Christianity becomes less important to us, that we look for sort of messianic heroes in politics instead. So we we it started with yeah. say Barack Obama, uh, then it, it over here there was a big thing about Jeremy Corbyn. He was sort of paraded as this messianic kind of yeah figure. yeah. Um, at Trump in a, in a different way, but equally it's it's yeah. super ideological, right? He can't do any wrong. He could he, like what was his quote? He said he could walk down. Fifth Avenue. Fifth Avenue and shoot someone in broad daylight and, he's right. and no one would charge him. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I don't know. They'd probably charge well, him. But... I, I think, you know, I think he's, you know, I, I hate to, I don't want to jinx us, but I think he's probably going to end up in jail. I think the the odds, the betting odds on him ending up in jail are greater than they are of him ending up as president in 2024. Nice. So I, I will go with the bookies. On and how, that. how would you feel about that? Would that make you feel good? How would I feel <laughs> about that? Uh, you know, I don't, I tend not to indulge in schadenfreude, uh, because like you, I'm kind of worried about my karma. Um, however, I think I, I, yes, I would go to, I would go down the road to my pub called the jugs and I would buy everyone a drink. That's what I will do. Yeah. But then four days later, after you pondered off on it a little bit, you'd be like, well, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I would Maybe. be I don't know. like I'd hold my hands up. I'd be like I would. I don't know if there's a word to if there's an adjective to describe how much ejaculate. <laughs> a fire hose. <laughs> yeah. No, that would be a good day. That'd be nice. I don't think yeah. I'd remember much of it after like watching the news. I just yeah. Um, but you know, it's it's a kind of it, we live in a very very weird time where everything is changing and everything is happening so fast, and it's impossible to get purchase on anything. And and again, you know, it's like the the um, probably the most famous podcast um, uh, so far has been Serial, which came out about five or six years ago, was an investigation of a murder that happened in 1999 um, uh, of a high school student in Baltimore. And it's a really, really beautiful, beautiful podcast because it kind of proposes a way 
slyly in a kind of um, uh, underhanded way that there is a kind of new way forward for thinking about the news. And it, it's a kind of new humanism, which parks, um, which parks a lot of our old established notions of objectivity and detachment that were kind of hallmarks of, of journalism, but which are increasingly untenable. Everybody's got a bias. There's no such thing as a, mm. a point of view from nowhere. Um, and it kind of leans into developing relationships with sources and leans into being a real human being uh, in in relationships with other people and is just kind of honest and open about that. So rather than kind of pretending to have an objectivity that is is frankly untenable in you know the tail end of our postmodern age, um, uh, it it leans into that more human aspect of things, and I think that gives me hope. That makes me a little bit optimistic about where we might go, at least in some small scale way, in our own projects. You and your projects, my me and my projects. Mm. Yeah. Do you, do you think maybe there's a place also for so there's a big focus on people um, taking a more humanist approach, taking a step back from some of the sort of fake uh, reward systems, dopamine rushes from social media and so on. But do you think there's a place in media for um, more like left leaning outlets? So like everyone, like myself included, everyone bitches and moans about the dominance of right wing press in the UK. Um, I think I counted the other week that six out of eight, maybe nine British newspapers are right wing in their nature. And yeah. so when they set the tone in the beginning of the day, then it actually begin with like from, from day yeah. dot, like it's right leaning. So like my, my question is, do you think a new left leaning tabloid or a new left leaning broadsheet could, is that likely or are we, are we through the looking glass now? Dude, we don't need it. We don't need it. We don't need it. We have Aid Thompson and other disappointments. We have Unfucking the Republic. We have the Young Turks. We have Democracy Now. We have all of these wonderful things that are speaking to us in a way that we all get and in a way that the younger generation gets. So my students, they never watch the BBC. Mm. They never read. They don't they don't they don't know the Guardian from the Sun from the Mirror. They don't. They, they live in a totally different media universe. And I think, you know, we just have to kind of stop fighting these fights that we were so invested in 20 years ago yeah. and look ahead and try and kind of figure out what figure out what we can do in the future. Um, and it, I think it's it's weirdly, like I was saying before, it's both more local, but also more common collective and international right the, the 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 problems that we have as a species are not going to be solved by more nationalism the the seas rise equally in britain as they do in france it's not like we're it's not like the fish swim up to the boundary line of british waters before they go into icelandic waters and turn around mm. um and and there's a, there's a sense and i get this among my students that this is they're really not thinking in um, in kind of local national senses at all, but they're also not thinking about uh, about national news as a thing. They're they're just they're just not. And I think I think we're seeing we're seeing a change at a lot of media institutions. 
um, pretty much all of the content, all of that legacy media content that was produced for print or produced for radio. Now, yes, it, it may be for the moment produced for print or produced for radio, but the kind of ultimate home of it is online. Mm. It's it's there in podcast form. It's there in various kinds of clickbait. Um, and, and that's where it's going to stay and that's where it's going to have the most impact. And I think we are ahead of the game, the left, if I could speak about you know, we, the left, you and me, I'll include you in that. Um, I think we are ahead of the game on the ground in, in lots of that. Mm. I, I do think we have an advantage. I think we, we were, we were in earlier. And I think as a medium, at least before, um, things get too segmented up by giant media conglomerates, um, uh, you know, for the moment we have these platforms and we can reach, hundreds thousands tens of thousands hundreds of thousands of people and i think i think we just have to lean into that i think um probably last question because i've uh, i've got babies so i go and look after martin okay. but, um last question uh so when I, I remember when myspace came out and there was this big thing about how it was revolutionizing music uh you know anyone could just set up a profile and then upload a demo and people like lily allen and uh, example um they they got big followings on on there was this thing about like anyone can do it and i remember thinking yep. yeah anyone can do it but because anyone can do it, it makes it infinitely harder to find the good shit because it's like yeah, yeah, every yeah, yeah, other yeah. person's got a profile so do you think as as professor of podcasting uh do you think uh is, is it going to be like that with this Anyone could start a podcast. A lot yeah, of people. It's have, already. Yeah. It's it is. It's already that. But that you know, I'm not. And 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 yeah, I, I think you're right. You're you're kind of right to point to something that we need to interrogate. And it kind of reminds me of uh, of Walter Benjamin's idea that you know any you know the, the opportunity for self expression, the opportunity to become an author or a star is the thing that's going to keep us from making any real change in the world. Mm. Um, uh, yeah, there's a glut of stuff. Um, I think, um, uh, I think that's okay. I think as long as we push ourselves to listen, and I know it's hard because at the end of the day, you're tired and you don't want people challenging your worldview, but as long as we listen to ideas that aren't 100% our own or slightly outside of our comfort zone, I, I think I think the more the merrier at this at this stage. And yeah, it is going to be harder to find stuff, but I don't I don't need to find the best stuff. I don't even know what the best stuff would be anymore. No. You know, I I get a bit of joy out of stuff like this. I get a bit of joy out of some podcasts. Uh, Radio Lab. I love Radio Lab. Some of those episodes cost a hundred thousand dollars to produce one hour of audio. How much are you spending on this hour? <laughs> Fucking nothing. <laughs> absolutely nothing it's it's uh, i tell you what it cost me it cost me a slightly awkward conversation with my girlfriend when i'm like you know i'm out in the cabin for an hour tonight uh, <laughs> uh yeah no she's pretty good um good. yeah i don't know i really like and always have done this sort of like the muck if you like like the sort of yep. the low budget lo-fi independent stuff and it's it's true of podcasting um i like this this one guy he's got quite big now but he uh he runs uh Creates podcasts called uh, Darknet Diaries, and it's just sort of a collection of stories about 
weird and wonderful shady shit that's happened on the dark net um and then like musically back in the day i used to find like loads of like independent singer songwriters on soundcloud because I, I just loved like the sort of like the graininess and the sort of the the prospect of it you know thinking oh this person could be amazing like and i've got in here on the ground level and then when i was doing stand-up i loved open mic comedy uh more than going to like the comedy store because there was that same feeling of like you know what if you know potential here and it's not fine-tuned and it's sort of you know so i quite like that about podcasts it's it it is part of of the charm of the thing. And I think you know we have to kind of reset our expectations and and not everything has to be a incredibly glitzy Hollywood production. It, it you can you can communicate really good, really clever, really well crafted ideas without a lot of money. And and there's a lot of that out there and um and I'm heartened by that. You know what's kind of sad though? Whenever, whenever something um, like a new invention comes out, right, like um, eBay or um, podcasts or, or whatever, like there's a, there's a window of excitement and potential to it where you think, shit, anyone can do this. Like e eBay is this new thing now. Like you can sell all your old like secondhand stuff instead of going to a car boot sale and having to sit out there all day in the cold. Now you just do it online and it's great. And then that window ends and then like, big business or whatever get in and then suddenly yeah, there's yeah. an argos shop on ebay and it's just <laughs> shit like yeah. you search for like i don't know uh pepper pig toy and like the first five things are now like sponsored results from argos and you're like what the, yeah, this is yeah, supposed yeah. to be like a car boot sale what the fuck yeah and it's yeah. the same now with podcasts like <laughs> it's it started off as this independent thing people to just record it on a dictaphone yeah. and upload it and now it's like lbc do podcasts and bbc do, yeah, yeah you know yeah um, yeah, I mean, there's always going to be another emergent medium and, you know, there's always going to, I don't know what the next thing is going to be, but these things have cycles, right? You know, in the beginning, they're, they're, um, adopted by early adopters, early tech adopters, and they go through a kind of tremendously dynamic and creative period where a lot of weird shit is happening. A lot of really interesting shit is happening. And then after a decade Oh, you've frozen. Oh, yeah, you froze there for a second. Sorry. Big All right. I think well, I, I still may be frozen. Can you still hear me? I can hear you, yeah. yeah. Anyway, yeah. Um, uh, it's, um, uh, yeah, these things these things will always happen. And then as, as fewer and fewer, fewer and fewer stations, certainly in the U.S., or radio stations are broadcasting on, uh, on AM and FM, what's going to fill the gap as as that medium really does die is you're going to get this uh, this kind of resurgence of a lot of weird and wacky shit that is going to be really interesting and going to be really kooky, and um, I think you just have to kind of ride these ride these life cycles of of different media like you would ride a wave. Yeah, you're right. You know, I, I hadn't even considered really that it could just be the prelude to a lot of these radio stations moving completely into the podcasting arena because yep. I like when I go out in my car, I listen to the radio, I'll LBC on. But at some point we're going to get robot cars that are just, you know, and and or, or rocket packs or, or whatever. Like they must know that radio is kind of 
on the way out but podcasting is soaring so if they can just kind yeah. of migrate that market over to people who need something to listen to while they're at the gym or while they're jumping on, on the tube or whatever it makes perfect sense to do it yeah yeah it's um it, you know i think that there's a lot there's a lot of um opportunity for us to get depressed if you look at the top if you look at kind of what's going on at big macro levels um which is why um i look at that lesson and uh i, I i'm i'm finding hope in smaller things oh well it, uh, it's good to hear that i will also try to find hope in, in things and, and contain, <laughs> contain my judgment of other people contain your rage it's not healthy it's yeah. not healthy <laughs> um so i did actually just quickly and then and then uh, i better run inside before i get in trouble Martin. sure but, um yeah i did take i took a month off the news uh yep and then how did you feel so much better oh yeah, my god me too. yeah it's uh I've, I've been doing this thing started it last year and then i did it again this year where i call it like journalism adjourned and i just delete all the apps off my phone and i like i'll go on twitter to talk about the podcast and stuff but if if anyone tweets me anything to do with the like immediately shut the window and uh in 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 one sense it's really uh like there's a definite uptick to your sort of mental health and feeling better generally about the world um but secondly there's a there's a real benefit to be had in terms of just having time to do shit like i noticed i got so much more done because i wasn't obsessing over like scroll and yeah, like, yeah, endless yeah. scrolling you know yeah I, uh, it. I do too. I I um I've been on a news fast that started in the summer, and I have very very little inclination to go back. I bet you I, you were thrilled then to see to see my email pop in your inbox. Like, <laughs> Come on and talk about the news. I bet you're like, ah, oh, <laughs> no, no. I I but I think you know taking taking a news fast gives you a different perspective on it. You begin to see things um, externally in a way you couldn't if you're if you're constantly consuming something you're 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 not going to get you you don't you don't really have perspective or clarity on it so yeah i, I you know i will definitely go back I, I teach journalism courses i teach a journalism uh module in the spring i'm gonna have to go back and and re-immerse in the news but at the moment pure bliss man yeah yeah and i think and like you're you're a father as as i am and yeah. uh i think there's definitely a case to be made for me not standing next to the dishwasher scrolling through twitter or like checking sky news and like when my son's talking to me like he's trying to get my attention and i'm like yeah just, just hold on a second just need to quote, yeah 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 quote, tweet this with a half amusing comment you know like <laughs> like yeah. i should be listening to him so like it's it's it definitely makes you think about things a little bit more yeah really the, the revolution will not be on twitter no it will not well i don't know i mean the arab spring was yeah um, they had they were they were a different media media environment than we were but i yeah. right. i don't know martin i've got to love you Go and leave in. you thank you so yep. much for coming on um uh, thanks to everyone else uh, for tuning in and uh, i'll be back next friday night uh other guest uh yeah this uh, the audio from this episode will be out tomorrow on itunes and spotify and we'll catch up with you soon uh last uh, last comment to make is um if you do know anyone that's into um politics tech dystopia uh, news um please do flip them a link to the podcast uh, just continuing to try to grow it organically i always have a bit of a laugh that there's no budget um behind this it is all independently produced and one of the um, i suppose downsides to that is that it is incredibly difficult to promote but it is growing and going from strength to strength i feel so 
um, if you wouldn't mind either leaving us a review or helping the uh, off the people that would be amazing and yeah um thanks once again to my guest this week um professor martin spinelli and i'll catch you all next friday night half past seven peace